going on, true crime fans? I'm your host, Teeth. And I'm your host, Daphne. And you're listening to Going West. Hello, everybody. I hope you had a great holiday weekend. Big thank you to Heather, Shannon, and Kayla for recommending today's case. We have a very bizarre young man's disappearance case out of North Carolina for you guys today. Very, very reminiscent of a lot of cases that we've talked about thus far on this show. So, yeah, stay tuned because it it is really really wild how these cases just feel so similar. I know. We're going to talk about that later, actually, because it drives me insane as well. Um, But yeah, this one has some really interesting, unique elements to it. And I cannot wait to hear what you guys think. So thank you for tuning in and let's talk about it. All right, guys, this is episode 360 of Going West. So let's get into it. When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. We've got a very different kind of sponsor for this episode, The Jordan Harbinger Show, a podcast you should definitely check out since you're a fan of high-quality, fascinating podcasts hosted by interesting people. The Jordan Harbinger Show covers such a wide range of topics through weekly interviews with heavy-hitting guests. And there are a ton of episodes that you're going to find interesting. Jordan is super charismatic and well-voiced, so I loved listening to his recent episode with Susan Casey called Unraveling Mysteries in the Ocean's Darkest Depths. It was so creepy and interesting, and he goes across every category with other episodes like Romance Twister, My Mister Once Dated My Sister, or his monthly Skeptical Sunday episodes about controversial topics from crystal healing to cannabis to Ouija boards. There is something for everyone. We really enjoy this show, and we think you will as well. There's just so much here. Check out jordanharbinger.com start for some episode recommendations or search for the Jordan Harbinger show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. In November of 2007, a 24-year-old man went missing after attending a popular comedy show with family and friends in Charlotte, North Carolina. After security camera footage picked him up leaving a bar and grabbing a slice of pizza alone, 
He seemed to vanish and was never seen again. So what really happened to him that night and why? This is the story of Kyle Fleischman. Kyle Fleischman was born on September 24, 1983, to parents Barbara and Dick Fleischman. The firstborn, he was later joined by a sister named Noelle and a brother named Kurt. When Kyle was in high school, the family moved to Charlotte, North Carolina, where his dad had landed a new job working for Fidelity Investments. After attending Charlotte Catholic High School and graduating in 2002, Kyle headed to Elon University in Elon, North Carolina, which is about an hour and 45 minutes northeast of Charlotte. Majoring in business administration, he graduated with a bachelor's degree in 2006, and after graduation, Kyle moved back to Charlotte to be closer to his family and moved into an apartment in the south of the city. And there, Kyle started working a job for a healthcare recruiting agency. Kyle was described as warm and trusting, and his dad Dick remembers him as a social butterfly, saying that he loved going out with his large network of friends as well as meeting new ones. And he was one of those people who never met a stranger. His best friend Daniel Scagnelli called him the life of the party and said that he would bend over backwards for anyone in his life. But after Kyle had spent about a year back in Charlotte, the Fleischman family received some unwelcome news. In September of 2007, Kyle's mom Barbara was diagnosed with breast cancer. And according to Barbara, Kyle was endlessly supportive and positive and told her that they were going to fight her diagnosis together. So on Thursday, November 8th, 2007, just days before Barbara was scheduled to head into her first surgery for treatment, Kyle, his sister, and his mom decided to balance out the heaviness of the cancer diagnosis with the levity of a stand-up comedy show. You know, they just wanted to have a fun night together laughing with each other before she had to do this very scary thing, this surgery. Yeah, very serious surgery. So 24-year-old Kyle was an avid comedy fan and had gotten his entire friend group hooked on comedian Dane Cook when they were in college. And obviously, you know, this was like peak Dane Cook <laughs> yes. comedy time. So true. He was in a bunch of rom-coms at this time. Like he was in Good Luck Chuck, Employee of the Month. Like he was huge at this time. So they were so excited. Exactly. So that evening, Dane Cook was in town performing at the Bobcats Arena, which is now called the Spectrum Center near Charlotte's city center. That evening, Kyle, his best friend Daniel, Daniel's wife Christina, and their friend Dom and Dom's girlfriend all gathered at Daniel's apartment to have a drink before the show, you know, do a little pre-gaming. Knowing that they were going to continue drinking, they decided to take a cab to the show, and Kyle left his car parked at Daniel's house. Now, his mom and his sister Noelle were also attending this show, of course, and they planned to meet Kyle for dinner beforehand, but they couldn't get their timing to align, so that never happened. And his mom remembered, quote, We had planned to meet earlier for dinner, and our plans just weren't sinking right. We kept missing each other. They were all seeing the show, but Noelle and Barbara were sitting separately from Daniel and his friends, so 
Sadly, Kyle didn't end up seeing his mom and sister that evening after all. I mean, it's, it's kind of strange because they were at the same show, but they never ran into each other. So when this comedy show ended, Kyle and his best friend Daniel headed to the Buckhead Saloon, which is now since closed, but used to be located at the corner of East 5th Street and North College Street, just one block from the arena that hosted the show. So, you know, this was an easy place for them to gather and continue the fun after this comedy show. So Kyle texted his mom and sister asking if they wanted to meet at the Buckhead Saloon, but the girls said that they were just too tired and they decided to head home. Barbara remembered being kind of disappointed that they hadn't been able to see him that night, but they just didn't want to go to the bar and had just wished to see him at dinner instead. But they knew that they'd see him again that weekend, so they headed home while Kyle continued his evening with his friends. So at the bar, Kyle was as sociable as ever, and his best friend Daniel remembers, quote, Kyle was in a great mood that night. He was his normal self having a good time, happy, jovial, nothing out of the ordinary in terms of his attitude. And although they haven't been named publicly, reports detail that the friends encountered acquaintances at the bar and were chatting with new people that they met that night inside. The group began to disperse around midnight, but Kyle, who was always one to keep the night going, decided to stay. Knowing that he had work in the morning, Daniel departed the bar between 12.30 and 1 o'clock in the morning on Friday, November 9th, leaving Kyle with his new friends, who didn't at all feel like a concern. And I think this is a lot different with men, whereas, you know, girls are less likely to leave their friend alone or, or even judged if they do so because of how generally less safe it is to, you know, be a woman out at night, usually. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with that. And also on top of that, like... He's, he's a young man, he's, he was just with his friends, maybe he didn't have intentions to stay there that much longer, but I mean, even I've done this before, you know, I've, I've gone out to a bar, met some new people, and stayed out probably, you know, by myself longer than I should have, um, but he feels safe. But also we have to remember this is the time before um, social media, or like social media wasn't huge at this point. And, uh, you know, he's just got his cell phone. We also don't have Uber around this time, so a little bit more dangerous, I'd say. But, you know, he feels like it's fine. Yeah, he, you know, Kyle seemed good, and it didn't seem like it was a problem leaving him. He was having a good time. There was no concern there. So as Daniel headed out, he even noticed that Kyle was talking to an attractive young woman that they didn't know. So now he's also thinking, oh, maybe Kyle's chatting up this girl. He wants to stay with her. Sure, he's no hitting problem. it off. Yeah, exactly. So Daniel later recalled, quote, right around then we had the conversation, you coming or you staying? And he was having a good time. He'd connected with some folks and he was going to stay behind. But sadly, that would be the last time Daniel would ever see his best friend. Later that morning, Daniel awoke to find Kyle's car still parked at his house. So puzzled by this, since, you know, he assumed that Kyle would have come back for it that morning, he checked his phone and was alarmed to find that he had a missed call from Kyle early in the morning. So he tried to call him back right away, but the call went directly to voicemail. So he called Kyle's family and roommates to see if they knew where he was, but strangely, no one did. 
but one of his roommates, as well as his sister and his dad, had also received missed calls from Kyle earlier that morning, with all of them having been asleep and missing the calls, but Kyle had tried to contact all these people in his life, and none of them knew why. But obviously, this doesn't look good, especially because Kyle never returned to Daniels to retrieve his car, he hadn't shown up for work that day, and hadn't answered anyone's calls that morning, all of which continued to go to voicemail. When 5.30 p.m. rolled around with no sign of him, Daniel called the police to report his best friend missing. That's a good best friend right there. Yeah, I mean, it hasn't even been 24 hours, but he's like, where where the hell did he go? What happened to him? You know, especially knowing that he left him at the bar. And when someone tries to call you and then they're not answering, it's like, why did you call me? You know, he didn't leave anyone a voicemail. And you're, like, what, what's going on? Yeah, and you're so close with your best friend that you, you just know these inconsistencies in their lives where you're like, that just doesn't sound like Kyle. That just doesn't sound like something he would do. Yeah, it's not adding up. So in the first of many blows to this investigation, the police actually informed Daniel that it was too late in the day to begin an investigation. They apparently didn't file missing persons cases over the weekend, so his rescue efforts would have to wait until Monday morning. I think that's one of the things about this case that pisses me off the most is that, you know, obviously in everybody else's minds, this seems urgent, but police are like, hey, yeah, we just, we just don't do that on the weekends. And it's like, I get it, but this seems like something you might want to look into right away. Well, I wonder how much of it had to do with the fact that he's a 24-year-old man. Sure. And they're thinking, oh, he's fine. Well, you know? absolutely, yeah. Which obviously isn't always true. But knowing how crucial those early hours are, his family and friends launched their own vigorous search measures that very day. Daniel created a Facebook group that quickly amassed thousands of followers, and luckily, the group's posts and news of Kyle's disappearance were quickly spreading around the Charlotte area. Now, Kyle's dad, Dick, theorized that Kyle had tried to call him so many times without leaving a message because he needed an immediate response. Yeah, so he calls somebody, they're not answering, okay, now I gotta call this person. Exactly. But so, didn't leave a single voicemail. Right, so he either needed like a ride or he had been in some kind of trouble. And this definitely makes sense. Like, you don't get an answer from one, you move on to the next. And he's probably assuming if they're not answering, it means they're asleep. And so they're not going to get that voicemail till the morning. So it's useless to leave one, even though it actually would have helped them understand what was going on in those crucial moments. Sure. In, in hindsight, of course. of course. Dick had actually been, Dick, his father, had actually been out of town for work that night, staying at a hotel in Raleigh. But he guessed that Kyle hadn't been able to find a ride home from the bar, and in the days before Uber and Lyft, as I mentioned, the options to get a ride home that late at night were basically very limited. So when questioned if it's possible that he could have taken off and run away from his life, his father Dick said absolutely not. He had even been out to lunch with his son two days prior and said that everything seemed normal with him, which is what everybody said about him. He was looking forward to his mom's surgery, hoping that it would, you know, be a step on the right path toward remission for her. He was also devoting much of his time to work, and he wasn't seeing anybody romantically. He just seemed to be in a good and stable place at this point. There had been no activity on his cards, in his bank accounts, or on his phone since his disappearance, so it was clear that something just wasn't right here. Many have questioned the friends that he was with, wondering how drunk he had been and if it's possible that he had been in an accident or had gotten lost because 
he was so out of sorts from drinking. But his best friend Daniel believes that that's pretty unlikely, saying, quote, Kyle wasn't extremely intoxicated by any means. I'm sure he was feeling pretty good, I know I was, personally, but I don't think that he'd reached the point where he wasn't aware of his surroundings. Thanks to the Facebook page spreading awareness rapidly, the community of Charlotte banded together behind the Fleischmans. Hundreds of volunteers alongside Kyle's family and friends set out to do what police were waiting two more days to do. The group walked the neighborhood that Kyle had been visiting that night, hoping to come across any sign of him or speak to someone who had seen him. And they papered the streets with missing posters and donned t-shirts with his face and information on them. They checked every local hospital, homeless shelter, and jail, but found no trace of him anywhere. He was just gone. Before the police even started working on the case, the Fleischmans had hired a private investigator. And on Saturday, November 10th, 2007, over 24 hours since anyone had seen Kyle, the private investigator made the first advancement in the case. Left behind in the Buckhead Saloon were the last relics of Kyle that they could find, his coat and his debit card. Though this felt like a step in the right direction, it was also an alarming discovery for his family because it meant that he had been without access to money after leaving the bar, which is likely why he had called so many people late that night, like he was maybe stuck downtown and needed a ride. Because without his card, he had no way to pay for a taxi. It was equally disturbing that his coat was recovered too because the temperatures had been hovering around 30 degrees Fahrenheit or about negative one degrees Celsius. So it was cold and people can freeze to death under 32 degrees Fahrenheit or under zero degrees Celsius. So it was very dangerous to be out there without the proper clothes. And Kyle was clad in only a t-shirt, jeans and dress shoes. The grassroots search efforts garnered an intense amount of media attention in Charlotte, and the news grabbed hold of the story due to how voraciously his family and friends were pursuing answers in Kyle's case. Still hard at work on their own investigation pursuits and now being assisted by a private investigator, police finally joined in on Monday, November 12th, 2007. So three days after he went missing. More valuable information came out as police were granted access to the surveillance footage from inside the Buckhead Saloon that fateful night. They carefully poured over the section where he can be seen chatting with that young woman at the bar, looking for any sign that things had gone awry after she talked to him. Police were even able to track her down and talk to her, though they announced that they did not see a connection with her at all. But some don't believe this conclusion because the video footage depicted him dancing with and talking to this woman for over an hour, and she later left with a man who was identified as her boyfriend along with two other men. So like, did her boyfriend maybe seek some kind of retaliation for Kyle dancing with his girlfriend maybe? I mean, it seems like that's a genuine possibility because as we're gonna get into, there was some sort of an argument outside the bar and police believe it was with um, this woman's, young woman's accomplices. Exactly, because that is definitely a possible connection, so we will talk about that in a bit. But police also combed the footage from nearby establishments in the neighborhood, just hoping to piece together a timeline of his movements and gauge the direction in which he had been going, as well as who, if anyone, he had been with. 
Kyle popped up on two other surveillance cameras in the early morning hours of November 9th. One was a loading dock, which as many of us know, is not near water necessarily, but rather, you know, it's a loading dock for a large building, which cameras captured him walking in front of. And the other was a neighborhood pizza place. And after those sightings, he seemed to vanish into the chilly fall night. But this was more information than the family had been working with, and being able to plot out his route that evening would prove to be a massive aid to the case. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment, no maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volix XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you are allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medications that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, just visit Juvederm.com. We know you guys love a good mystery, especially one with twists and turns. Am I right? This is why you guys are going to love June's journey. Step into the role of June Parker while she tries to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder in the roaring 1920s. In this hidden object mystery game, put your detective skills to the test. While you're on this quest to uncover a scandalous hidden family secret, 
you can customize your very own luxurious estate island and let your imagination run wild. Daphne and I actually love to play this game together because you can chat with and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. You'll even get the chance to play in a detective league to put your skills to the test. It is truly so much fun. You guys are going to love it. So what do you think? Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Heath and I are major sufferers of seasonal allergies. They are the worst. It can even be difficult to host this show when our noses are all clogged up. We have tried brand after brand, but luckily, for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. And big shout out to Claritin for supporting this show and providing us with samples. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so that you can breathe better. I feel like I sneeze all day long. I always have an itchy face. But now I can actually go outside in the grass and not have a sneeze attack or be stuffed up thanks to Claritin D. Are you ready to live as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so that you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. As true crime listeners, you're aware of the dangers out there in the world. So why not keep your home as safe and secure as possible? Daphne and I do this by using Simply Safe. For award-winning security and peace of mind wherever your summer plans take you. When we get ready for our summer trips this year, I will feel so much better about leaving the house knowing that Simply Safe has our back, just freeing me from my constant anxieties. And also something I love is that their system blankets your entire home in protection from break-ins to fires to floods. And with indoor and outdoor cameras to choose from, you will feel safe any time of day or night. And Simply Safe is backed by 24-7 professional monitoring agents to help stop crimes in real time. Which is part of why they were named the best home security system of 2024. Simply Safe has given us and so many listeners real peace of mind, and we want you to have it too. Right now, get 20% off of any new Simply Safe system with Fast Protect Monitoring at simplysafe.com/goingwest. There's no safe like Simply Safe. So let's get into what police and the private investigator learned of 24-year-old Kyle Fleischman's timeline that night. So based on the Buckhead Saloon security camera footage, Daniel closed his tab at the bar between 12.15 and 12.30 a.m. on Friday morning, so roughly two hours after he arrived there with Kyle and his friends. Then Daniel let Kyle know that he was leaving, but Kyle said that he was set on staying put for a while and that he would get a cab later. Between 1 a.m. and 2.15 a.m., Kyle can be seen chatting up and dancing with that young woman. According to online theories supposedly purported by Kyle's uncle, there may have been an altercation regarding Kyle spending so much of his night talking to and presumably flirting with this young woman, which, if true, could change the direction of the entire investigation. 
So around 2 a.m., a few bar patrons apparently reported hearing yelling between Kyle and the men who are with this young woman that Kyle had been talking to. So according to the family's private detective, who has remained anonymous all of these years for personal reasons, he said, quote, there was some videotape we were able to gather from the manager of the Buckhead Saloon, showing Kyle first speaking with the young lady and then two guys. In the footage, it looked like they were in a possible argument or confrontation with Kyle. The young lady then leaves and walks out to College Street. Kyle then leaves as well. Kyle and the young lady then end up speaking as they're walking across the street. So this piece of the timeline has been dissected many times and will likely continue to be discussed until the theory that, you know, this group of men was involved can be ruled out. Though police have announced that they do not believe that this woman or her companions were involved, she has not yet been named publicly and the details of this supposed altercation are limited, so it's kind of difficult to lay the theory to rest. At 2.17 a.m., the woman exits Buckhead Saloon along with her boyfriend and two male companions. After this, Kyle began to make his series of phone calls two minutes later at 2.19 a.m., which is around the same time that he was spotted leaving the bar. He first phoned his sister Noelle from inside the bar, exiting when she didn't answer, and leaving behind his jacket and his debit card. And I do just want to mention that bars in Charlotte, North Carolina close and North Carolina statewide close at 2 a.m., which is pretty standard in the United States. So him leaving at 2.19 and the girl and those guys leaving at 2.17 is kind of weird to me. I know sometimes people stay a little later, but I feel like with last call, they really do try to get everybody out of bars at two o'clock, you know? So to stay 20 minutes later is kind of weird to me, but I couldn't find any evidence that in 2007 it was not 2 a.m., but I don't know. I I mean, I've definitely been in that situation many times uh, where, like, back when in my 20s where, you know, closing down a bar, it was like they they do their last call, but everybody kind of sticks around finishing their drink, and sometimes it takes, like, a half hour to kind of usher people out. Right. So I do understand how this could have happened. Well, it is good to know that they most likely were closed at 2 because he left his coat and his debit card. So after he left, he really couldn't go back and get them anyway. But I think we're going to talk about that in a second regardless. But I also want to say that it's kind of interesting that he didn't call a cab and, you know, instead that he started looking for a ride before he realized that he left his jacket and his card behind because he's in the bar calling his sister and his dad and Daniel, etc. So it's interesting that before he even left the bar, he wasn't trying to call a cab. He immediately, like, it would make more sense if he left the bar and then he was like, oh, shit, my card's in there. I have to call my family now. But he was literally in the bar where he could have gone and grabbed his card and he didn't try to call the cab first. He first tried to get a ride from somebody that he knew. I mean, that, that to me, there could be a, a large amount of reasons why he did that maybe maybe it's because earlier you know like his his mom and his sister went to the comedy show and he felt bad that he didn't get to see them that night maybe he wanted to chat it up with him uh, you know in the car on the way home or but it's weird too because that was at like 10 the comedy show ended around 10 o'clock yeah so it's weird that four hours later after four hours after his sister said i'm tired i want to go home he's calling and saying potentially saying, hey, come pick me up. Is it also possible that, you know, maybe he didn't have 
uh, enough money on his debit card to to get a cab True. home, and maybe he's thinking, ah, I don't really want to spend the money on a cab right. if, if a family member can just come pick me up. That's a good point. But also it's weird to me that despite it being freezing outside, like literally freezing, he continued to walk up the street without his card and his coat instead of saying like, oh shit, I left my coat. I better go get it. I don't know if maybe being inside a warm bar and drinking, he wasn't feeling that cold yet, but it's weird that it's weird to me. This really doesn't matter, but it's weird to me that he would walk out in a t-shirt and wouldn't say, oh wait, where's my coat? He would just keep walking. Yeah. That's, that's one of the details that I'm, I'm so confused about because you would imagine as soon as you walk outside, you're like, damn, it's, it's fucking cold out here. Like, where's my coat? Yeah. Where's my coat? Oh, and do I have my card? You know, it's like he just, he kind of walked out, which to me could mean that he was at least decently intoxicated if he maybe wasn't thinking about it, you know? Yeah. And also possibly when they were trying to get people out of the bar, you know, get everybody to leave, he was thinking, oh shit, like maybe they closed up and they're not going to let anybody back in. And like, he just realized too late. Yeah. Somehow. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, so as he exited the bar, he supposedly engaged in a heated exchange with the men in front of the bar, but it was said to have only lasted a few minutes. He then walked down North College Street alone and was spotted on surveillance footage doing so. Then he sauntered by a loading dock, which sported front-facing cameras. And according to those who have seen the footage, as it has not all been released, he didn't appear to be scared or concerned or in any particular hurry at that time. Then around 2.30 a.m., so about 10 minutes after leaving the bar, and, you know, after multiple attempts to call his family, Kyle popped into a nearby fuel pizza. Though he didn't have his card on him, he did have a small amount of cash, which he used to pay for the pizza. This transaction actually may have been what made him realize that he had left his card back at the bar, because 12 minutes later at 2.42 a.m., Kyle began placing more calls, but to no avail. He first called a local business that he had been at earlier that day, though it's unknown which one and why, but maybe it was the Buckhead Saloon and he was just hoping to track down his card and coat before walking back there. Within that same minute at 2.42 a.m., Kyle checked his phone's voicemail. In the next 15 minutes, he calls his dad three times, trying both his cell phone and his work numbers. Which is also interesting because he must have known that his dad was out of town, but he's trying his dad multiple times, knowing that his dad cannot give him a ride. Maybe he's just trying multiple family members, you know, just to see if if just anybody will pick up. Maybe, he, like, you know, if he gets a hold of his dad, maybe his dad can get a hold of somebody else. I, I don't know. Or he's asking his dad for advice. Who knows? Very true. And just so everybody knows, Raleigh, where his dad was staying, and Charlotte are two and a half hours drive from each other. So definitely not close enough to come pick him up. Yeah. But yeah, again, I think just I'm I'm wondering all these things because it makes it just makes me think of his not mental state at the time, but you know, what was going through his head and what exactly he needed and why he was placing the calls in the first place. So 18 minutes after calling his dad those three times at 3 a.m., he tried his sister, Noelle, again. Almost 30 minutes after this, at 3.28 a.m., he called Daniel, and at 3.29 a.m., he tried his roommate, Bruce. But unfortunately, with it being so late, no one answered him, which is just such a sad part of this case to know that he went missing and had tried so many times to call people, but nobody realized 
which is fair because they were asleep. It's not their fault, but it, I mean, that's such a heartbreaking piece of this story. Yeah, it is a sad thought. So 30 minutes after trying Daniel and his roommate Bruce at 4 a.m., around three hours before sunrise, his cell phone had either died or been turned off. Detectives were able to track down an employee of Fuel Pizza who claimed that he had a photographic memory and had been the one to serve Kyle that night. The employee remembered that Kyle came in by himself, ordered two slices of everything pizza, and paid in cash, recalling, quote, He came in alone. Normally, not many people come in alone, but I took his order. I put his order in, I rang him up, and then right after I rang him up, he went to the bathroom. And he remembers Kyle coming in around 2.30 a.m., but didn't see him leave because they had gotten an influx of customers around that time. And, you know, Kyle's dad, Dick, confirmed that he thought that this was true and it sounded consistent with his son, Kyle, saying, quote, The fact that he had a pizza with everything on it, that's what he always ordered. If the guy would have said that he ordered a plain slice, I would have said, that doesn't sound like him. So investigators followed his phone pings from Fuel Pizza to North Davidson Street, heading north and away from downtown. And this was a very strange revelation to his family because he lived in South Charlotte. So why had he been heading north? This particular neighborhood that Kyle was wandering into was also known amongst locals for being a very seedy part of town, which was even more concerning. So his family said that he would never have willingly passed through that neighborhood in the middle of the night, and that it was likely that he decided to walk home, but had gotten disoriented and walked in the wrong direction. Especially if his phone's dead. You know, I don't know what kind of phone he had, but it was 2007. It's possible that he had the first iPhone. I don't know if he had a smartphone. Um, and if he could have looked up directions on his phone as that, at that time, probably not. But either way, having his cell phone would have been very useful to try to get help in some way. And he didn't have that resource. Absolutely. And, you know, in the, the entirety of this case, we talk so much about how, you know, the future of technology and all these different things that can help us out nowadays. Um, it's just a shame that those didn't exist back when he went missing because, you know, like Uber, um, Apple Maps, uh, Find My Friends apps, things like that. Like all these things could have really helped. Yeah, we have so many great resources today with technology. So apparently after, you know, walking in this wrong direction, Kyle's phone either died or it was shut off along his route. So the last time that his phone pinged was near the entrance of Cordelia Park, which was two miles or 3.2 kilometers from Buckhead Saloon. So he walked a pretty long ways. By this point, he had been out walking for an hour and a half in freezing temperatures without a coat. Later that week, Barbara was scheduled to go in for surgery to treat her cancer, which was hard for her to do because all she could focus on at that time was figuring out what happened to Kyle. So obviously you can imagine how unthinkably difficult this week was for her and her entire family. But reluctantly, Barbara decided to follow through with her surgery. But just hours before she was due to go under for her procedure, a new development materialized. Because a taxi driver actually came forward with information about Kyle's disappearance, claiming to have seen him that night. The driver said that he had seen someone matching Kyle's description, walking in the 1100 block of North Davidson Street early on the morning that he was last seen. 
The taxi driver claimed that this man stuck out because it had been so cold outside and the person had been dressed in just a t-shirt and jeans, just like Kyle had been. The family's private investigator who took the tip from the driver said, quote, The cab driver said he recalled seeing a white male that looked similar to the description that we were putting out on Kyle Fleischman. He told us he was traveling outbound on North Davidson Street, approaching the 1100 block, approaching the railroad tracks near Hunter Wrecker Service. He knew enough about the area that he gave details. So Kyle's dad, Dick, said that the family felt hopeful for the first time in almost a week with this tip, as this seemed like a pretty credible one that could point them in the direction of where Kyle disappeared from. He recalled, quote, The cab driver couldn't 100% identify him, but my feeling is that the guy made a comment of compassion and was worried about somebody, which means that he saw him pretty good. He saw a kid with no jacket, a kid they felt, this guy even said, was not in the right place. He did say he was intoxicated, and the time of day he said he saw him was exactly when Kyle's cell phone was going off in that area. So I believe they saw him absolutely. But although this seemed like a pretty reliable sighting, this was still a massive area to search and no sign of Kyle, his phone, or his clothing was in the vicinity. According to locals, Cordelia Park was known for late-night gang and drug-related activity and was frequented by the notorious MS-13 gang, which is thought to be the most dangerous in the country. So theories sprung up of Kyle having stumbled upon gang violence, having been at the wrong place at the wrong time. And thus, the theory sprouted that maybe he'd come across a drug deal or other criminal activity and was killed to ensure that he kept silent. Or maybe he was caught in the crossfire of a gang-related altercation. There was no evidence to suggest such a thing, but Kyle having left no trace in the area certainly made everyone involved wonder about the possibilities. Because although he was near train tracks, there was no evidence of an accident either. With the cab driver's last known location of Kyle in mind, police brought in cadaver dogs to see if they could indicate in the right direction. After being offered Kyle's scent from the jacket that he had been wearing that night, the first cadaver dog immediately traced his scent to Fuel Pizza, confirming what investigators already knew. However, the dogs added a very curious element to the confirmation by pacing around the vicinity of the restaurant. So police wondered if perhaps Kyle had also taken like a circular path around the restaurant a few times, fearing that maybe someone had been following him, or maybe he just couldn't loiter in the pizza place and walked in circles, just like not knowing what else to do. The dogs were then able to trace his path up North Davidson Street and stopped at the border of Cordelia Park. Which matches up with what the taxi driver said. Right. So when the dogs were brought back to the park, they went past it and found their dead end at a construction site. The site was a building full of brand new condos and was sporting open dirt trenches at the time as pipes were being laid in the ground. The handler of one of the cadaver dogs noted the smell of decay and wondered if an animal, or potentially a human, was buried in that construction site. And the dogs were even allowed access to the site in hopes of finding the source of the smell, but they were unable to do so. When police asked residents in the area about this smell, multiple people complained about it and said that they had reported what they thought was the scent of, quote, a large dead animal, but that nothing had been done to track down the source. 
While on their patrol, the dog handler also met a local homeless man who claimed to have been in Cordelia Park on the night of Kyle's disappearance. And this man claimed that he had actually watched gang members kill Kyle Fleischman that night, but that he didn't know where they had disposed of the body. Over the course of the next year, three official police searches and many, many more volunteer searches were conducted, but they never turned up any sign of Kyle. And of course, this man's alleged eyewitness account couldn't be proved either, you know, that gang members had killed Kyle. As usual, Kyle's case had drawn comparisons to other cases of this nature in which men had disappeared after a night of drinking. Statistically, many have ended up in bodies of water, as per the smiley face killer theory, which we covered in episode 240 of Going West. Though Kyle wasn't near any large bodies of water when he disappeared, there is a creek, it's the Little Sugar Creek, that runs through Cordelia Park. When someone disappears after a night of drinking and is likely not at their most alert, you know, falling into a body of water and drowning by accident always seems like a possibility, but no sign of Kyle ever materialized in any nearby body of water. And just bringing that up reminds me a lot of all of these deaths that happened in Austin where, you know, they were finding these young men dead in uh, the Ladybird Lake, I think it was. Yeah? Yes. And it's just so reminiscent of that because, you know, after a night of drinking, all of all of these young men, it seemed like they had been out drinking the night before and had sadly uh, fallen in and drowned. It has weirdly happened a lot. And we've covered other cases. What was that? Um, Darwin Vest. We That happened in Idaho in 1999. They thought that he had fallen into the river. Like, it weirdly happens a lot because, like you're saying, with the recent case in Austin, Texas, how all these young men were found dead in the the lake as well. It's very bizarre. And also that theory came up with the Jesse Ross case as well. Exactly. There are so many, but it didn't seem like that happened here with Kyle just because this one small body of water, there was just no sign of him. And in a lot of these cases, they usually do surface in the water. So when they don't show up in the water, it's kind of, I don't know, hard to believe that that is the conclusion. But about two years after his disappearance, Barbara and Dick hired a psychic just hoping that maybe she would lead them in Kyle's direction. And this psychic, whose name was Kathy Hasty, picked up in the vicinity of where the cadaver dogs left off and said that she could still feel his presence there and that his remains were definitely still in the area. So I know a lot of people are skeptical of psychics, but I'm just bringing this up because it is a part of the case. Well, yeah, and the the family members are the ones that went to seek out her help. Yeah, because they're like, why not? Like, what do we have to lose? We just need to try everything we possibly can. Sure. And Kathy explained in an interview, quote, When something traumatic or something really powerful happens in an area, an impression is made in the energy that makes up that area. Just like if a meteor hits the earth, there's a crater that's made. Kathy believed that everything leading up to Kyle's death was happenstance, but that there was ill intent behind his murder, either anger or maybe revenge, though the exact motive wasn't clear. And his parents actually agree with this and believe that he was simply a victim of circumstance, like maybe somebody driving by spotted what seemed like an easy target for a robbery and that person or persons killed Kyle and likely dumped his body in the construction site near North Davidson and 16th Streets in the Noda neighborhood of North Charlotte. 
and sorry, I really don't want to keep harping on this, but it is just so eerie to me that there are so many male cases that we have covered that are A, an unsolved disappearance, and B, has similar circumstances in which they're out drinking and walk off alone and are just never seen again. Like, this is the same story for Brian Schaefer, which also includes a weird construction site thing. And a bar. And a bar, yes, and walking alone and being by himself. And then, like you said, Jesse Ross and Chance Engelbert and Kevin Nguyen, um, Clinton Nelson. Like, the list, unfortunately, goes on. And then, unrelated, I feel like there's another group of male cases that involve going missing while driving at home or driving at night alone. It's just so weird. Like yeah. it's weird that there are so many, so many similarities across so many different cases in general, but I feel like we particularly see this with, with young men. It's very interesting to me that a lot of these young men cases kind of happened around the same time, like in that early 2000s, like the early 2000s, kind of late 2000s. Um, it, it's very strange, like the you know, outlets, like 2004 to like 2010, like all these weird things happened. You know, we talk about Bryceless Pizza. We talked about um, right. Bryceless Pizza driving alone, like, like so night. many of those. Right. Jason Landry, for example, like it, it's it is very strange. Yeah. And I think with Kyle's case, it almost feels like there's a little bit more information. Like there was a guy, the taxi driver, who is saying that he saw him. There's this other guy saying that he saw a gang kill him. Like there are people that are saying that they saw him. We do have some surveillance footage. Yeah, we have three different security tapes from different places. Yeah, so it's it's good that there are a few more clues in Kyle's case than maybe some of the other ones where we have covered. And it's like they literally just vanished off the face of the earth, even though it does feel in a sense that that happened here. But still, I think the construction site angle is really bizarre. Like the fact that while they were searching for him in these early days, there's this like huge smell of decay in yeah, that area is sketchy. And people are coming forward and saying like, hey, it smelled like decomposition, but nobody ever checked on it. Yeah. And I mean, I guess with them sending the cadaver dogs to the site, like I wonder what exactly happened there because obviously we said that they didn't find anything, but how much did they really look? And what, like what occurred there because that would be so devastating because if these condos were then just built and he is down there when are they gonna find find that out and how well i think that's that's exactly what his father dick thinks is that those condos were built and they may never be able to find kyle yes and let's get into that now actually because Ultimately, this is the conclusion that Kyle's loved ones have reached. So for years after Kyle's disappearance, like we're saying, residents of the apartment complex atop which he was supposedly buried complained of a smell of decay, the source of which was never determined. Dick recalled, quote, There's condos now. We tend to believe he's buried under there. At the time, there was open dirt because they were digging for the pipes. Three years later, a woman contacted the police. She goes, well, I called the police. There was a horrible stench here, and I said there's something deceased here. But frustratingly, even having a target of where he's believed to have been disposed of didn't help locate his remains, and his family and friends are still left to wonder. Three years after Kyle's disappearance, Barbara and Dick Fleischman left Charlotte, which was haunted by painful reminders of the unknown. 
In 2009, so the year before they left, Kyle's family printed an obituary for him in the Charlotte Observer. And although they've made their peace in a way with the fact that Kyle is no longer with them, the pain of never knowing what actually happened remains. In a very recent interview with Dick commemorating 16 years since his son's disappearance in 2023, he said, quote, The thing is, if whatever happened to Kyle in 2007 would happen today in the world of Uber, I think my son would be okay. He would have had his phone and called for a car with the press of a button. He wouldn't have needed to wander around a bad neighborhood and get lost. He could have just pressed for an Uber when he walked out of Fuel Pizza. I no longer believe in closure. I now believe you just learn to live without it. Kyle Fleischman had brown hair and green eyes. He stood at six feet tall and weighed 180 pounds at the time of his disappearance. He was last seen wearing jeans, a black short sleeve shirt, and black dress shoes. Authorities believe he is no longer alive and they heavily suspect foul play. This past September, Kyle would have turned 40 years old. If you have any information about the disappearance of Kyle Fleischman, please call Charlotte Crime Stoppers at 704-334-1600. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening to this episode of Going West. Yes, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. And on Friday, we'll have an all-new case for you guys to dive into. Again, big thanks to Heather, Shannon, and Kayla for sharing this story with us. This one just stumps me so bad, but I tend to lean towards what his family believes here about what happened to him, like I just explained. Yeah, I do too. It feels like the most, sadly, the most likely scenario. And unfortunately, just a totally freak situation that could have been avoided. But let us know what you guys think please comment on our social media posts and give us your thoughts and theories. We're on Instagram at Going West Podcast, Twitter at Going West Pod, and we're also on Facebook. And obviously, please make sure that you share this episode because it's very important. Like somebody may know something down the line. You never know. So please, please share. Yeah, there is always a chance of this case and others like it being solved. So thank you in advance if you decide to share this case and we'll see you in a few days. All right, guys. So for everybody out there in the world, don't be a stranger. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.